You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Last week, we started the series called The Blessed Life, and we're continuing it for a second week. And I made three points last week about what uh, the blessed life was like, and these words from the Beatitudes, the beginning of what's called the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus. And I said, his words are offensive, I know, counterintuitive, and revolutionary. And we're going to look a little more at that this week. Uh, but before we get into that, I just want to let you know you can um, give us your prayer requests online anytime. You also can. Uh, Take notes uh, through the U version of the Bible app and uh, find at Thrive Community Church, we've got the message, the quotes, the Bible verses all listed there for the Blessed Life Week 2. Let's begin with prayer, shall we? Lord God, um, you have blessed us in the heavenly places in, uh, as we are seated in Christ, as we are given everything that Jesus has won for us through his death and resurrection, through his entire life, and how he's opened the kingdom to us, Lord God. We thank you for this. We thank you that you are with us, and we um, are (laughs) amazingly by your grace in the kingdom. We pray that you give us eyes to see clearly what you have for us, as much clearer than the confusion that we are seeing right now in this world. We do pray for our community, Lord, for so many things that, this, uh, that have been uh, unearthed over the last few months of, of the unrest underneath the ang- anxieties and the depressions and the frustrations and the differences of opinion that have broken out um, forcefully in our society. We also lift up, Lord, as we have seen how we are nowhere near a perfect community or perfect society, or even a perfect church, that you would heal us of the injustices, that you would make us right with you, and that we would be living righteously, that is, following you every step, that we would show mercy, that we would uh, seek justice, we'd walk humbly with you, Lord God. We pray, Lord, that you would be with all those on the front lines right now uh, of this uh, pandemic in the United States, where So many have lost their lives, so many are sick, and so many hospitalized. And we've got a lot of questions right now, but we pray for our medical staff, our nurses, our doctors, those working, um, the first responders to situations, Lord God, that you would protect them and keep them safe and strengthen them, Lord. Many are becoming exhausted through this. We pray, Lord, for our teachers in our schools right now as they are trying to figure out the best way to move forward. We pray for your wisdom. We pray as well for your protection over their lives and that you would comfort them, Lord, and give them a peace. Let them find throughout all this turmoil a peace in you as they trust you and your promises. And Lord God, for our church and for the churches in our area, Lord, that you give us opportunities despite all of the limitations that we see, that you give us many avenues for ministry. We lift up to you Florida Gulf Coast University as students start arriving and as they move into dorms and apartments, Lord God, and as they consider and anticipate classes both online and in person, Lord God, that you give them wisdom and that you protect us all through this time and that you 
Give us opportunities in ways that we can connect and grow together, even as we need to stay physically distant and not do all the things we want to do. And we look forward, Lord, to that day. First of all, that day when um, much of this pandemic is behind us and we can gather freely for meals and fellowship and hugs and embrace and all of those wonderful things and conversations. And when we can also gather in worship to praise and lift you up fully and completely. And we look forward to the day, Jesus, when you return. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Heal this world, renew this world. And finally, Lord God, we lift up as you call us into your kingdom, as you have brought the kingdom of God right into the midst as you walked around uh, Israel, Judea at that time, and you proclaimed the kingdom of God, that we would understand your kingdom more fully, what it looks like, how different it is from every other organization and kingdom in this world, and that we would live according to your kingdom as your people. So bless this. Um, Bless this time, Lord. Holy Spirit, be involved in this message today. All this we lift up to you. And Lord Jesus, it's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Um, so I heard Tim McKay um, this last week compare the words of the Beatitudes that we're looking at in the blessed life to walking into a zero-entry pool. Do you know have you seen a picture of one of those? I think we've got a picture of that right there. You know, where you can, you step in, it's only an inch deep, and it seems very easy and doable. We have one at my, uh, in my neighborhood, a zero-entry pool at the amenity center. And um, you walk in, it's like an inch deep, you can handle this, and you keep going. And the Beatitudes are kind of like that. We read these words of Jesus, and we go like, yeah, I get it, they're wonderful. I can put them on a plaque on the wall. I can understand what they mean. Sort of. And then you start walking in a little deeper into the zero entry pool and it starts getting up to your ankles and then your knees. And you go like, huh, I wonder how deep this is going to get. And the farther you go into these words, like one of those pools, the deeper it gets until you're up to about your neck and you're going like, okay, am I getting? And you start asking some deeper questions like, wait a minute, why is Jesus bl saying blessed are the poor in spirit? Why does he say blessed are those who mourn? I mean, is that what? Why? What's going on here? Who, who is he gathering around? And what's going on with this kingdom of God stuff? And, and why would he say blessed are those who are getting beaten up, you know, and persecuted and treated poorly? I mean, what's... And you start going like, huh, this is not what I thought it was. And then you're over your head. And that's kind of where we're going with this. At first, it seems simple, it's understandable, and the deeper you get into it, the more you go like, wait a minute. And I bet you know what these words say. You've heard them before. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, all of them. But I would ask, I would say to you, and you know, and, you, and most of you online, in person here right now, say, yeah, these words are true. Now, explain them to someone. What is Jesus saying here? Why is he using these phrases? And you might be going, uh, well, that's a good question. 
That's why we're talking about this today. To understand what these words really mean, we're going to have to do a little background. Um, and we're going to have to get into this text. We have to understand the first people he gathered together, what's called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, and those whom he spoke to that understood his words. You understand, Jesus didn't speak these words for us first and foremost of all, saying in 2,000 years, they'll understand what these words mean. He spoke words to people in a specific place and time, and they fully got what he was after. You know, right? So we're going to ask three questions as we explore in our second week what it means to have the blessed life, and specifically when we get to that, uh, that um, beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth or the land. Because that's what the word haretz in Hebrew means and the word that's used in this text. It's the land of Israel that he's talking about at the time. Interesting, huh? So, first question. To whom is Jesus saying these nine blessings and on what occasion? Okay. Another word for that is context. You've got to understand when you look at something in the Bible, okay, Jesus said these things. And so, Jesus said these things in Matthew chapter 5. And so, where do you find the context? So, Matthew 5 is where the Beatitudes start. So, what comes before Matthew 5? Matthew 4, I'm glad. We've got some people who are paying a little attention. They, I, these are not trick questions, okay? So in Matthew 4, we start reading what's going on in Jesus' life. And what's fascinating is he starts out to understand these are not just thrown out there in the middle of nowhere. He starts out in Matthew 4, verse 17, where his beginning of his public ministry, he says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's kind of a summary of everything that he was going to say for the next chapters and chapters throughout his public ministry. It comes down to that simple phrase, repent. That is, change your mind, turn it around. Metanoia is the word. To change how your thinking, your perspective, change your mind. The kingdom of heaven, what you've been longing for, what you've been looking for, the kingdom of God. So often in Matthew, instead of using the word God, because many Jews at the time of Jesus were afraid to mispronounce God's name, they would instead place the word heaven in there as a reference to where God was. So it's not any different than saying the kingdom of God. They just wanted to use it as another way to do it, okay? So God's kingdom that he wanted, that he established, that he had promised all the way back in the garden that something would be taken care of, that he promised that Abraham would get in some way, that someday that he promised to Israel himself, Jacob, that he promised to David, and all the kings and all the history and everything that happened throughout the Old Testament where people up and down and over and right and everything got messed up. But now, finally, God's kingdom, the way God wants it, has started. It's right here. Isn't that interesting? Wow, that just would be waving a huge... Red flag in front of a lot of people in Jesus' day to say, pay attention, this is what's going on. Now, right after he does that, he starts gathering some people together. Okay? And the first people he gathers, do you know who they are? And this is not another trick question. It might be a little Sunday school-ish. 
But who were the people? He went along the, side, the Sea of Galilee. He was walking along the seashore. And who did he gather first? Disciples, but they were fishermen. And he says to them, follow me, and I'm going to make you catch people. I'm going to send you out to catch people. And these fishermen, not learned, you know, probably just n- not, not anything special, start to follow a few of them. And then more people start following him in the Gospel of Matthew. This is what it reads in Matthew 24 to 25. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. Do you know what is Syria? Who lives in Syria? Syrians. <laughs> Not children of Israel. Okay, got that? And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, okay, around that area of that uh, Sea of Galilee, the Decapolis, these 10 cities to the east of Israel on the other side of the Jordan River, and from Jerusalem and Judea, those are the areas to the south, from all directions, and from beyond the Jordan, you know, where the country of Jordan is right now, okay? Did you get that? So he's gathering people from all over, and they say they are all following him. How would you describe this group of people? You have to realize this about Roman society at the time. It was cutthroat. There was no social welfare system at all, none. There were no places that would have food pantries like we have today. There was no social uh, organization. There were no hospitals for sick people or poor people. If you were um, someone who was blind, what could you do? You begged. That's all you had. You had no other way to do anything for yourself, and nobody else was doing anything for you. In all of Roman society, it was totally based on what you could accomplish and what you could do for yourself, and it was all about the social ladder, and you pushed people down as you climbed up, period. And the people that Jesus was attracting to himself and that were following him were the sick and those who were broken in spirit and those who were broken and oppressed by demonic forces and those who were crippled and lame, you know, and then people from um, sundries of backgrounds. And they were all gathering to Jesus. If you would call, uh, I would say, if you looked from a Roman perspective, these were the losers of society. Right? Not the winners, the losers. And these are the people, it says. So in Matthew chapter 5, then, he, it says, and Jesus got down on top of a mountain, he sat down, and he started to speak to his disciples. So who do you think are those disciples? You probably are thinking right away, like I did for many, many years, oh, it's the twelve. The 12 have not been called yet. That occurs later in this chapter. The disciples are anyone who's following Jesus. So this is the crowd. Some of them were the fishermen that would later be the 12 apostles or disciples, but the rest are the poor and the the foreigners and the people from all different backgrounds and the people who are broken and beaten up and stuck on the sidelines and the losers of Roman society and the people at the bottom of the pyramid, the people that were considered trash to be thrown off to the side. 
These were the people Jesus was teaching. And when he says these words to them, they go, oh, he's talking about me. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's me. Blessed are those who mourn and grieve because this world is a mess. That's me. Do you get it? That's electric. He wasn't saying, blessed are the rich. Blessed are, if you get on top, you know. So we're going to talk about that a little more. Now, um, I came across a, um, a modern artist couple, uh, two people who work together on this. Uh, let me see where it is. Okay, their names are Tim Noble and Sue Webster, and I think they're artists on the West Coast, not sure exactly where. And I saw these pictures on the internet. And um, if you would go to their work, you'll see a picture of this right now. Um, this is what you see. And you'd probably walk into the studio and go like, great, modern arts. My five-year-old could do this, throw a bunch of trash on the ground and call it good. But then when you walk up closer to this pile of trash, all of a sudden, the next picture, a light shines on it, and you see the silhouette. Do you see that? Is that fascinating? This is called wasted youth. You see the silhouette of people, and now you're starting to get at what Tim and um, I'm sorry, I forget their names. Again, Tim Noble and Sue Webster are trying to say. It's a moment of surprise. It's revolutionary. It changes your whole perspective on what this is all about. And I might not be able to know exactly everything that these two artists are trying to say in some of these paintings. You can look up a bunch of these online, by the way. It's pretty fascinating to see. But I do believe they are trying to infer a few things. They want you to consider that those you thought were disposable, things to be discarded and avoided from a new angle become something beautiful, something you find value in, and something to make you think twice about what really is good and beautiful and wonderful in this world. I think Jesus, in a lot of ways, is doing the same thing with these Beatitudes. He's trying to basically say what other people consider trash or to be unimportant or a waste of my time to spend any time with these people, to avoid them, dismiss them, walk away from them. Jesus says, no, you're the center of the kingdom. This is why I came. This is who I'm about. This is what it's about. You are God's family. You are invited into the kingdom. You are blessed. So that's to whom he is speaking these words. It makes all the difference, right? Next question. What does it mean for a rabbi or a prophet like Jesus to speak words of blessing? What does he mean when he says blessed? You know what you discover is if you um, read through the Bible, you find the word blessed comes up quite often. A couple weeks ago, uh, when was it? I did it for Wednesday night, but a few weeks before that, I preached on Psalm 1. It's pretty bad when you're the preacher and you forget when you, what you preached on just a couple weeks ago. It was in our ser series called Replenish, and it was about meditating or being involved in God's word. And Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man is a woman, is the person who basically sinks in deep and meditates on God's word like a tree planted by a stream of water. 
and just is rooted in that. Okay? Another psalm is Psalm 119. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's the longest psalm in the Old Testament. It's an acrostic. That means it takes every letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Dalet, etc., and has a whole paragraph poem on each one of those letters, and it goes on for pages. Wow. And in it, it basically starts out and says this, blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the way of the Lord. That's how it starts. So it's basically saying, here they are. These are the blessed ones. Or Psalm 1, th this is the blessed one. It's highlighting. When you use the word blessed, it's basically say, pay attention to, be like this, be the one. This is what the life is supposed to be like. And it goes on and on and on to describe the life that God highlights, appreciates, or the blessed life. So when you say someone is blessed, you're really just basically saying this is a quality that we'd like everyone else to attain and to live like. In the Psalms, it's about being immersed in God's word. It's trying to live a blameless life, doing right things in right relationships at the right time for the right reasons and the right motives. And when you do that, Psalm 119 will go on and say your life will then align. Things will go well for you. God will like you. God's your buddy. He's for you. He's with you. That's the blessed life. Live like this. Okay? Now, even between, now, um, I don't know if you know this, the Old Testament, the last prophet of Malachi or so is written about 400-ish years before Jesus. And there was this silent-ish period. I say ish because we don't have any books in our Protestant Bible during that time, but we do have record of people. It's called the, um, the Apocrypha. And um, there are a number of books in it that are in that silent period, like Maccabees, etc. Okay? And there were also other groups within Judaism as they came back to the promised land and tried to get things organized and back together that tried to say this is the blessed life. And one of the groups that, uh, that came prominent during this time uh, was a group that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. Have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Yeah. And a lot of them are basically just writings of Isaiah and the Psalms and the Pentateuch. That is the first five books of the Bible. And they were just uh, copying those. But they also wrote this community next to the Dead Sea wrote their own stuff, too, that sounds a little like the Bible. Now, this is a group that decided to try to create a utopia on the side of the Dead Sea. It wasn't a spa, you know, where you get a salt bath and all that stuff. It was a spiritual utopia where they said, Jerusalem is totally corrupt. The priesthood stinks. They are just following their, they knew that everything in Jewish society at the time was a mess. And they said, we're going to form this perfect community and wait for, in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. And that's what they did. And so then they wrote in there, what's fascinating is something very similar to what Jesus writes later and what the psalmist says. They wrote about blessings. And in one of the scrolls, it says this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Does that sound familiar? 
Yeah. But then they go on. Blessed are those who cling to his statues and who do not cling to her ways of perversity. Blessed are those who rejoice because of her and who do not spread themselves in ways of following. Blessed is he who seeks her with pure hands and who does not go after her with deceitful heart. It sounds pretty close to the Bible on that. And yet, you have to realize one context. You know what they were saying? Who's blessed? We're blessed because we're the only ones who are pure. Y'all are cursed. And they looked at everyone else and said, you're in the bad group and we're in the good group. And I'm sorry to say, there's a number of churches that I've known that do that. That basically turn around and say, we're the pure people. Look at how good we are and look at how bad the society is. And I have been asked over my 35 years of being a pastor, not quite 35, 30, um, 33 years of being a pastor, to, to, to preach about societal ills all the time. And I do some. But my problem with it is it creates a self-righteousness of those who are in the congregation. Because it's basically saying, look at how blessed we are and how bad they are. Sorry, these were the Essenes or the Qumran community. Sorry, you guys were off. That's not what the Bible does. Maybe that's what you do. And that's what religious people do, become self-righteous in it. It's not what God wants us to do. And that's not what Jesus is doing. Okay? Then there was another guy um, who actually, you know, uh, lived 150 years before Jesus. You know what his name was? Jesus. Jesus ben Sirach. Jesus, the son of Sirach. And he wrote a book called The Wisdom of Ben Sirach. Fascinating, right? This is what he says There are nine who come to mind as blessed, a tenth whom my tongue proclaims, the man who finds joy in his children and the one who lives to see the downfall of his enemies happy, the man who lives with a sensible woman and the one who does not plow with an ox and a donkey combined. Now here we go. Happy the one who does not sin with the tongue, who does not serve an inferior. Happy the one who finds a friend who speaks to attentive ears. Now, some of this sounds exactly what the Old Testament's talking about. There's a couple of phrases, though, that go like, Hmm, what's he getting at? Do you see that? Happy, the one who finds a friend who speaks to attentive ears. You know that another way of saying it is? Blessed are you when you're considered important. Because when you speak, people listen. Just like E.F. Hutton. Do you remember that commercial? Some of you, I have dated myself. It was, you were probably four years old, Hunter, when that came out. How long ago was that commercial? When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. Look it up. It's on YouTube, I'm sure. But the idea is, Ben Sirach is saying, you're blessed when you're considered important, and you're on top of things, and people listen to you. That's the life to live. And then he also says in here, blessed is and happy is one who does not sin with his tongue, who does not serve an inferior. Do you understand that? And he's basically saying what Roman culture had been saying and the Greek culture had been saying is you never serve people below you. You're always climbing the social ladder. You kick people down and you keep climbing up. You suck up and you kick down. That's the way you run society. And that's the way they lived. So what Ben Sirach was really doing was just assuming and 
consuming the culture of his day and highlighting this is the way to live the good life, the blessed life. And it's not at all what's going on with Jesus or the Bible. So when Jesus speaks these nine blessings, just about the same as Ben Sirach, he doesn't highlight those who never serve an inferior, those who are important and popular. He's all about, again, the losers of society in that day. He highlights the most revolutionary realities, like shining that light from those two artists on the pile of trash, and it turns into something totally astonishingly new. He speaks words of comfort, and he totally affirms everything about the lives of the people that were in front of him when he spoke these words. He says, you're the blessed ones. You're first in the kingdom. The poor, the mourning, the ones who are struggling, Blessed are you. Yours is the kingdom. I'm here for you. This is why I came. This is what God is all about. I love what Stanley Hauerwas says um, about these Beatitudes. Um, it's a worthy quote. I know it's um, on the Bible app online as well. It's a long one, but it's worth listening to. He says, too often these characteristics of the Beatitudes have in Christian history been turned into ideals or virtues that we must strive to attain. When we do that, we turn them into formulas that help us gain status and favor with God, which is, of course, precisely the opposite of what Jesus is trying to say. <laughs> we tend to do that. We tend to take Bible passages and create our own ladder up to God with them. And if we have to use humility to try to climb a ladder, we'll use humility. Isn't that, it's the opposite of what Jesus is saying. He is not saying that you climb the ladder to get to God. He is saying that God comes down and resides with you right in the middle of your mess. Even if you feel like your life is trashy and difficult, that's where he is. So he goes on, rather, they are descriptions of the kinds of people to whom Jesus, in fact, first brought the kingdom of God. Nowhere does Jesus tell us that we should try to be poor in spirit or mourn all of the time or try to get yourself persecuted. Okay? Don't try to get yourself persecuted. It'll come anyways, but don't. Okay? He simply announces that great surprise that these people who are not significant or honored in their society are precisely the ones who have received the honor to be first among those called into God's kingdom. Wow. Can you imagine being in that crowd the first time and hearing Jesus say that? How can you not just love that rabbi and want to follow him? Totally revolutionary. And so that's how we hear the, this word today. I know we finally get to this just short text that we're looking at. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So the question, third question today, last question today, what does it mean to be meek? What is meek? It's probably not a word you use often, is it? Anybody use the word meek this week? I understand. So, Jesus has already said just before this, we talked about it last week, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Um, basically, not the arrogant and aggressive, 
but those who don't seem to have anything. He's also said just before this, blessed are those um, who mourn, don't rejoice over the way the world's going, but who mourn and grieve over the injustices they see in this world, but don't feel like they can do much about it. It just seems to keep going anyways. Now he says, blessed are those who are meek, not the powerful, and you're the ones that are going to inherit the land or the earth. So within three or four uh, decades after Jesus, about before 70 AD, just before, there is an all-out war in Palestine over who's going to be in charge of this land and this property between the zealots who believed that the way to do it is to arm themselves and fight for their rights and their land and to kill off anyone. The word zealot means the um, short sword kind of thing, or the Sicarii were one of the groups of the zealots. And basically, they were kind of an assassin-type guerrilla warfare. And there was going to be an all-out war between them and the Romans, who, with their military might, that's the only way they, quote, brought peace, was to just force it onto people and subjugate them. And it ends in the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and the death of the last of these rebels on Masada. 70 AD, the place is totally flattened and destroyed. And Jesus is saying, doesn't bring the kingdom of God. Force will not work. Military might doesn't do it. No. He's also saying it's the meek. It's not those who simply have a certain racial purity about them, realize the crowd in front of him was a mixed bag. It wasn't about that you happen to be a descendant of a particular patriarch, and therefore you automatically are in. He also doesn't say, blessed are those who accommodate to society like the Herodians did, and just kind of go with the flow and go with Rome and do whatever Rome does, and that way gain power that way. No. And he doesn't say, blessed are the Essenes who go out in the middle of nowhere and try to start a pure place, separating themselves. He says, blessed are the meek. The word meek, I'm going to skip at least one slide here, okay? The word meek is the Greek word praus. It basically does mean gentle or humble or meek. It's unassuming, unnoticed. You're not the center stage. You don't brag about yourself. You don't hide, highlight yourself. You don't have a sense of inflated importance about yourself. You may be important. You just don't think so. One of the people in the Old Testament who is considered meek is Moses. Now, he was vitally important. And yet, at the same time, he understood he was nobody in one sense compared to God. And he was called meek. So really, being meek is not looking down on yourself or groveling in the dirt. It's just not looking at yourself. There are better things to do. There are better people to focus on. There are better things to be about. It's looking to God and looking at others and meeting their needs and not worrying about who gets credit for anything. Because Jesus is saying, basically, violent people will try to take the kingdom of God by force. It doesn't come that way. The kingdom of God instead, and he will say parable after parable to explain this. The kingdom of God comes from throwing out a bunch of little seeds into the ground. A million little acts that look totally insignificant and powerless. And yet, 
bring about the growth in the kingdom of astonishing beauty and glory and wonder, ultimately. The kingdom of God comes through the truly meek who don't cry out, who don't shout out in the streets, demand their rights, who don't take a jillion selfies and look at me and say things about themselves. The meek just keep giving freely and rejoicing to serve the lowest and the least and those who are marginalized. The meek reconcile and the meek forgive and the meek try to seek peace and the meek try to serve and just give and not think about themselves and just keep doing it. You want the best example of highlighting who's the meek? This word, praus, is used two more times in the Gospel of Matthew. It first comes up when Jesus says this in Matthew 11. Come to me all who, are la- who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek, gentle, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is the one who's meek. He doesn't come and bring the kingdom of God by force. And when he had an opportunity to turn the tables, to reign supreme, to take the highest place, when he had the crowds behind him, when he had the foment of the whole festival of Passover in front of him and the center of Jerusalem, and he could have turned everything around and created any rebellion he wanted, when he comes into Jerusalem on what is called Palm Sunday, this is what Matthew says in Matthew 21. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, meek or humble, and mounted on a donkey. The meek one brings the kingdom of God through giving up everything, not focusing on himself, but focusing on you and your needs. It is the meek one who inherits the earth, Jesus Christ. And he's the one who gives it to you freely. Is that amazing? How many of us really feel unimportant? When you look at society in the world today, I mean, any of you in Wikipedia? Even if you were, it might not be, I mean, if I ever got in, it's probably for the wrong reasons. You know, it'd be for something stupid I did, not for something I'd want, you know. You might feel like um, that artwork, you know, where your life just feels like a jumble of trash and garbage that just doesn't seem to be anything great. Um, That your body's not working as well as it used to. I'm getting there that um, you've got kind of a broken soul, that you've got a crushed spirit. You know what it's like to be uncool. You don't hang out with the cool kids, no. They pass you by. You understand what it's like, that no one really asks for your opinion and nobody even thinks about noticing you. Jesus looks at you and says, blessed are you. Yours is the kingdom. Jesus says, I'm taking your place. You get my place. I'll take the back seat. You get the front. I'll become last. You get to be first in this kingdom. So you stop playing the game the world has been playing. You don't evaluate yourself based on how the world sees you. You take your value from what Jesus says about you. 
You don't have to have your act together. None of us do. You aren't able to master your own fate. You can't tell me what's going to happen in two minutes, let alone two hours or two days from now. And Jesus says, yours is the kingdom. That's what the blessed life is all about. Realizing who's your king. And following him because of what he does for you. Through his whole life, through his death, through his resurrection, what he does for you. And then you start seeing like that pile of trash. You look at the world and you see what God sees in it. The wasted youth around you. The wasted lives because the world has trashed them and treated them poorly. And you say, no, 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 no. That is not God's, that is not God's plan. This is his kingdom. And you start serving the least and the last and the lost and the unlikely. You serve people because no one is to be trashed or discarded. Because you know that's what God's kingdom is all about. Let's pray. Lord God, um, these words are just amazing. And Jesus, wow, that you would take our place. That you would be trashed by this world. That you would be thrown away. That you'd be crucified to the cross and discarded as, as just garbage. And yet, the beauty of, Lord, your sacrifice and the beauty of these words that we would be welcomed into the kingdom help us to have the perspective of the blessed life that we are blessed, that you highlight our lives, that you focus your attention on us, and that you, you move us to follow you in focusing our attention on the people that seem to be marginalized in our society, that face the injustices of this world, that are pushed off to the side, that don't, quote, matter. And yet, Lord, you say that's what the kingdom of God is all about. So teach us as thrive, as a people as a family here to welcome and to understand this truth and teach us, Lord, as well as um, just individually when we see people, Lord, help us to see, see how you highlight their lives and create a beautiful silhouette of what you intend and not just the stuff that we see in front of us, Lord God. We lift up to you today just a few uh, specific prayers I know about. One being, Lord, uh, Andrea Blankenship, you know, the, uh, we thank you, Lord, that you've been working through her chemotherapy and that the PET scan coming this week, Lord, we pray we just get to rejoice with her at the healing you're bringing about. We lift up to you also Pastor John Zender, who is still hospitalized with COVID-19. We pray to strengthen him and heal him, Lord, and show him your, you know, glory. And, and, the moment, and he has said that in the hospital, his name has been, he's known as a pastor there, Lord, and that he has been able to minister to others, Lord. Thank you for that. We pray, Lord God, that um, you especially move in us today to see one person's life who so often seems to be dismissed or discarded, and that today and this week, we pay the attention to them as you so desire. Lord God, in a few minutes after this service, after a song here and present in five minutes or so, um, after the online version is finished, Lord, 
We're going to celebrate the wonder and the beauty that you call us blessed and you highlight our lives and you come into our lives even though they're a mess and all of a jumble and you create a beauty there by being present with us and giving yourself to us, Lord Jesus, in a profound way. We thank you. And as we consider this, Lord, that you take the jumble of our lives right now you make them beautiful for your kingdom's sake. We gather all our jumbled thoughts together in the prayer, Lord Jesus, you taught us to pray. And we pray in unison. We pray together. We pray united in your beauty and your glory. We pray as one family. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.